gave birth to my first. I survived a provide. My baby daddy run and hot. So I take it one day at a time. My heart is heavy. So I rock, I rock, I rock steady. To the beat, one, two, and three. You know what I mean. Keeping it clean, investing in a dream. J to the beat, bringing the heat. Making them sit on the edge of the seat. Technique so sweet, unique. Make beats until we make magic. Till it comes ahead, till you get to have it. Follow me the white, a white, a white rabbit. I'll take you on a journey. Pack your lunch and hurry. what it is and that's how it is some kind of trip that's why i rap on this kind of tip i'm honest i'm conscious new female hip-hop artist put me in that category telling the other hip the story they've been waiting so i'm not hesitating steady creating mixing and fading that's why i know my ladies be relating so i say all my relations all my relations Grandmother moon and sister stars will take care of you no matter where you are. Creator is there, creator is aware. No need to play truth or death. Unconditional love is what I got. Unconditional love for this thing called hip hop. Connect to your love and your life. Connect and feel what's right. Inside, strong mind, strong heart. That's where it starts. You never know what's next. You never know your effects. You never know what's next. You never know your effects. Get ready, get ready, get steady. It's gonna, gonna, gonna get, get heavy. Get ready, get ready, get steady. It's gonna, gonna, gonna get heavy. Get ready, get ready, get steady. It's gonna, gonna, gonna get heavy. Get ready, get ready, get steady. It's gonna, gonna, gonna get heavy. The International Center for Criminal Law Reform and Criminal Justice Policy, the UBC Sexual Assault Support Center, and the Ending Violence Association of British Columbia will be hosting a two-day conference on September 30th and October 1st. The aim of the event is to engage students, staff, faculty, administrators, government, and community organizers in a dialogue about sexual violence within Canadian university and college communities. Space is limited, but registration is free. Register now at ccsvconference.wordpress.com. Thank <laughs> you. 
As a station, we believe in playing content with artistic and cultural merit, and sometimes that category includes material which can be construed as offensive. For those who have children nearby or are sensitive to provocative material, the following broadcast may have strong language, themes, or be otherwise objectionable. Please consider tuning out and revisiting CITR after this program. Hempology 101 is a student-run organization here to educate the public about the benefits of hemp and cannabis. Fast fact! Hemp is a renewable, sustainable source of food and fiber. Fast fact! Your body contains anandamide, which is part of the same family of substances as THC. To learn more, look us up on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Hempology 101 UBC or come to one of our great events. And don't forget, legalization through education. Hey, 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 you're listening to The Real World on CITR 101.9 with Dora. And Dama. And uh, what you just listened to was JB, the first ladies, get ready, get steady. So that was a great thing. And... We are, just a reminder, we are broadcasting live from unceded Musqueam territory here on the UBC campus in Vancouver, BC. So The Real World is the UBC Film Society's radio show, and we try to connect with other clubs and campus organizations uh, through film. So today we'll be talking about uh, Indigenous representation in film, and specifically this documentary called Konalina that will be coming out soon, and we'll be talking about when it's coming out and when you can watch it. And... Yeah, just quick disclaimer, we're going to be talking about indigenous representation. Both of us are white. Yeah. We are not indigenous. We can't speak for the indigenous peoples of British Columbia or anywhere else. So, yeah, if you're sensitive about that, we will try to be... We're, yeah, we're yeah. going to try to be as um, sensitive as possible. And we. this is something that we are very interested in and care deeply about, but we just felt that it was important to share yeah, that. people need to know that. So, uh, today is going to be a very interesting show for two reasons. Number one is our first hour-long episode. Woo! All right, get ready, listeners, for an extra half hour of the best show of your life. Yeah, and that's why it's really appropriate that we play Get Ready, Get Steady right before the, uh, we start oh, yeah. talking. Because you gotta planned. get ready, you gotta get steady, because <laughs> we're gonna do something awesome. Another quick thing, we're gonna be doing a, a pretty, like, long interview on this episode. Yeah. So, get ready, get steady for that, because <laughs> this is gonna be part one of our Konalina kind of focused episode i uh, i went to director nettie's nettie wilde's house and we just had a blast talking about the movie and i'm gonna talk about how special it was because we had a special guest on there but it, it's it was a very long interview so we're separating it into two parts i have spent all week listening to dama just like <laughs> rave about this woman and this interview because so it's so good yeah i am very excited to hear it okay yeah so I'm just going to talk about Konalina for a bit. And what this movie basically is, is a documentary about... Go get the thing. <laughs> about the... Um, about the Talton people and kind of their struggle to keep their land in, in this, like, struggle with the mines. So, very quickly, I'm going to play you another song. 
and then we'll get back to talking about this. Uh, uh, my name is Christy Charles, and I'm from Musqueam, and I just welcome you here to Mali, um, here in Musqueam. This area that we're in right now is um, called the Mali. It's right at the mouth of the Fraser River. Um, it's the downriver dialect where Hunkaminam speaking people. We belong to the Salish language family, and our language um, was almost extinct. It was through my um, grandparents, my great grandparents, that they helped um, bring it back to our community along with other. Um, very respected members of the Musqueam community. So I was born in the 80s, so that's like when hip-hop was like, it was all about hip-hop. We'd always beatbox and battle rap and do graffiti and try to break dance and um, just freestyle. Okay, we're back. I was just pulling up the interview. <laughs> but I, we do hope you enjoyed that, like, actually very illuminating video on um, indigenous hip-hop. But... Yeah, but it, sound, it was very informative. The noises were very good. <laughs> we may get back to it later. We may not. But, yeah, quick overview on Konalina. Konalina uh, shows the Northwest, essentially, and the different peoples of the Northwest, kind of, and their relationship with the land. So I don't want to say too much about it because... I feel like Nettie and Oscar, who I will now say why he's so special. Oscar <laughs> is one of uh, the Telton people, and he is actually a linguist who, in the movie, you kind of see him struggling to like learn the language and preserve the language because only like very few people actually still speak it. And he's trying to do his PhD thesis on the language and trying to like get as much of it as he can from his father. So we get in uh, a little bit of his relationship with his father and he's actually become really close friends with Nettie. So when I actually went into Nettie's house for the interview, Oscar greeted me and I was just so confused. <laughs> but then Nettie gave the idea like, oh, what if we just interview both of us? And I was like, that's perfect. Game changer. Because we get a character from the documentary in the interview, which is just, awesome so yeah uh you're gonna hear Nettie talking a lot about the different relationships that people have with the land which I think is so so great it's like my favorite part of the movie as a whole that it doesn't just focus on the Telton people it shows like the miners that are in the northwest that are just like mining diamonds and it shows uh different people that have different relationships so there's some Telton people that are miners there's some white people that are miners um then there's just the Telton people that are totally against the mines and the documentary itself is just really really illuminating on all these different points of view on the same land in the northwest and it's not just about the miners as well like that is an aspect of it but they also discuss like hunters and like just like people like basic living on the land and relationships with it and the mine the mines are just like a very 
um, like focused way where like all the intersections kind of come together and the different perspectives. But it is it's such a beautiful movie um, about so many things. So yeah, uh, we'll be talking about when you can watch it after the interview. So just enjoy that. And also, we just want to, um, we played an um, explicit content warning before this episode. Um, that is because the interviewees do swear a little bit. So if that's something that you're sensitive to, be prepared or also, like, take care of yourself. Yeah, do your thing. So, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy the interview and we'll be around. Hey, so this is Nettie Wild, and I'm the director of Konalina, Our Land Beautiful. My name is Oscar Dennis. I'm one of the central characters in the documentary. So, uh, one of the great things of having Oscar here is that you've been studying the Talton language for your PhD thesis, right? Actually, I did my, my master's thesis on the pedagogical structure of the language, mm. and I've been doing a lot of research. And, and the reason why I've been doing the research is to preserve the language, because the language is near death. Mm. and what I've been doing is I've been living with my father and recording the language on a daily basis, just catching on as much as I can and just recording it and archiving it digitally. So, so uh, yeah, but I'm considering a PhD and it could be, all the research that I've done could be used. I have so much recording. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the great thing about that is that my first question was actually related to the title of Konolina, and I was seeing that it means both land, like our land beautiful, and our mind beautiful. So I just wanted to see if you guys could explain a little, like, what that means in terms of the film, how that appears in the film, with those that double meaning of the Well, word. let me take on the film part, and then I'm going to toss it yeah. over to Oscar to deal with what it means. When we were making Konalina, the whole objective of our film crew was to do two things. One, to find the poetry in everyone in front of our, our lens, whether that was people like Oscar or whether it was diamond drillers drilling holes in the ground for the mining industry, people protesting against them, the whole works. Just park our assumptions and really go for, to see if, if, what the relationship was between that person and the land and find the poetry in that and park our assumptions about whether or not we thought they had a relationship to the land mm -hmm. and see if we could be surprised. So in, in Oscar's case, you know, here I've got this guy who's doing this very um, exciting but very, very academic study of language. Well, in fact, it's not very academic at all. It's, it's very alive. It's in the community. But what it, what it afforded us was the second objective in making the film, and that was wherever possible to take a look at where there were different ways of seeing. And um, when we were attempting to find the poetry in Oscar, right, we found his work with the language really extraordinary and deep it led us to a relationship with him and his father and in the title when we started to actually get into the language and here we are non-tall tans speakers having no idea of how the language worked mm -hmm. and he started to explain to us how there are pronouns in the tall tan language that are the same 
as in English, he, see, he, she, it, they, but there is a specific pronoun for the land. And that, that felt to me like a window into a different way of seeing in terms of the um, tall tan versus my own culture. So that's why I really tripped on the title and I'm just gonna toss it over to Oscar to explain specifically what Conalina means and what that window is. Well, okay, Conalina, uh, it, it, it all goes back to the pronouns. Uh, like in, in Teltan, if I were to say uh, Sonalina, it would mean I'm beautiful. If I were to say Nonalina, it would mean you're beautiful. If I were to say Monalina, it would mean she's beautiful. But if I were to say the land's beautiful, I would say Conalina. So the K is a personal pronoun for the land. And the thing about like Nettie mentioned about about you know, different way different ways of seeing in Taltan when you when you make reference to your your mind or your cognition you would use the personal pronoun that you use for the language. So if I were to say I'm happy, I would say Konalina. I would refer to my cognitive. I was basically saying my cognitive landscape is beautiful. So. In essence, what you're saying, or the way you're perceiving it, is the environment is not an abstract notion. The environment is actually an extension of your perception. So when you look at when you're looking out as a Taltan person with the language, and you're looking at the land, the way I see it is, it's like it's like your mind just isn't. Everything's just an extension of your mind. It's it's not abstract. It's it's all. Holistic. I was t telling, uh, I was talking to a Taltan person who understands the language and grew up with it as a child, but she didn't, uh, she doesn't speak it. And I was talking to her about, uh, because it, 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 it was so normal for her that she wasn't able to really see it. And when I was talking to her about it, she says, that's holistic. That's what they're talking about when they talk about holistic. And I've never ever seen, understood holistic, I would, because... It's sort of like a, you know, in university here, in university, especially studying First Nation studies, which is my undergrad and my master's degree, they always talk about First Nations or indigenous people seeing the world holistically. So she was saying, that's holistically, that's seeing it holistically. And so for me, as a filmmaker, <clears throat> um, all of a sudden I'm seeing a way that we can storytell in a concise way on the screen because if Oscar goes into a really deep thesis of the language I'm going to leave we're going to lose the audience because the, we have a really limited amount of screen time but the, the huge penny drop happened when I realized that his language actually has a pronoun that can only be used for the land it's just as important as he she it they yeah <laughs> and that was just a huge aha moment, and it was something that we could actually get on the screen <laughs> in a really concise way. And that's the surprise, and that's the poetry of Oscar. For the land and the mind. For the land and the mind. The mind one is really hard. The cognitive landscape mm -hmm. thing is a really hard concept for me to get. I know my audiences get it faster than I do, because mm -hmm. when I think cognitive landscape, I'm going, whoa okay i can i can deal with a program a pronoun for for the land for the land 
for my cognitive landscape. What the does that mean, right? Uh -huh. And I guess it's about perception and about the way that you see the world. Would that be right? Well, it's like the world isn't, there's no separation between your perception and the land. So how you see it and the land itself are one. Yeah, so, yeah. They're, well, not, so therefore, even when you're thinking, you, you manifest the reality. And it goes back to the stick gambling, like I said, you capture that medicine. Because as, as the land unfolds, as you perceive it, so therefore you're manifesting this reality that's the reality. You're manifesting mm -hmm. it with your mind. So there is no separation between this and, and this. Mm -hmm. It's all one. So and when Oscar's going this and this, he's pointing to his head. Yeah. So therefore, when, when you're talking, <laughs> you're seeing the people in the stick gambling. And, you know, like it shows a lot of the stick gambling, but you could you see the audience going like this, dancing and going like this, or going so like this. I need to put this in context. Yeah. He, Oscars, because this is radio. Oh, yeah. So Oscar's referring to stick gambling, which is another scene in our movie, which was another window for me into another way of seeing. So stick gambling, we were up actually just in the development phase of the film. And lo and behold, there was this stick gambling tournament where the Cascadene people came down and had a tournament with the Taltan. Taltandene. And they had this gambling tournament. And so I, I think, oh, you know, this will be an interesting cultural moment. <laughs> this thing goes on for two days, right? And I'm sitting there with this guy, Jordan Patterson, who was helping me out as my cameraman at the time. And there's this drumming happening, and there's, there's these two teams. I have no idea what the rules are. People have explained it to me. I still don't understand it. But what I do get is that it's transcendent. Like these people are playing, they're playing really hard, they're having a really good time, and they're going to another place. That's, as an outsider, that's what I'm getting. And on a filmmaking level, what was really interesting is on the first day we filmed it just normal, normal speed, out in the sunshine, and we looked at the footage afterwards and it looked kind of like a normal kind of anthropological film about First Nations getting together and doing something spiritual. Right. <laughs> it just lo it looked really familiar. Yeah. People wailing away on drums and, you know, and I go, wow, we've missed the boat. We haven't got whatever's going on there. I don't know what's going on, but I can feel it. And so the next day we shot it all in slow motion. And while we were filming it, we knew we were nailing something. We didn't know really what it was. I still didn't understand the game. It didn't matter. I could feel that a window was opening into another way of seeing. And Oscar's mum eventually, and Oscar and his sister, were explaining the game over and over again. And the thing that stuck for me was that when they said, Oscar's mum says at one point, if you're not winning, go against your mind. Go with your heart which is a completely different way than where the, the way that the white world sees, yeah. right? So I thought, okay, I may not know the ins and outs of this game, but I'm getting something. Yeah. And then I had a really interesting conversation with Oscar about it. Well, the thing about it is, it goes back to the manifestation of your reality. So, and you could call it voodoo, you could call it magic, but we call it medicine. And, and 
it goes back to your mind. And we have words for it, but I, I, don't, I couldn't pull these words out of my head right now. But anyways, we were always told to be careful with your mind when we were children by the older people, because your mind is what makes this reality. So therefore, you could do harm with your mind. And you could always remember that if you, know, you, could, you could do harm with your mind intentionally if you want to. So you always remember that your mind is real powerful. And so you could do harm to other people? You could so. do harm to other people. And everyone has this power. It's just that most people don't know that they have this power. But when you're watching the, the Taltan people and the Cascadena, in this in this documentary, you could see them doing it, and you don't see the audience much, but you see it like you see this one woman doing this and doing this, like throwing her hands out like this in the video, and she's she, she, she's been eliminated out of the game, but she's still throwing her hands like this. It's like this rhythmic motion that they have where they're like throwing energy or something yeah, back throwing, and forth. Yeah, and she's she's manifesting. She's she's in her mind. She's manifesting the the outcome of this game. And if you take a look at the greater audience around, you'll see specific people going, doing this, like throwing their hands and opening it like this and putting their energy to manifest or to, to influence the outcome of, of this game. It's like they're trying to either give people energy on or their team it. or pull it away from the people on the other, on the other side. Yeah. And it's like physically, and that's what we're filming and we have no idea what we're doing, right? But and the, and the thing that was so amazing was I've done so much research and I've done like, like anthropological, ethnographic, I've done, you know, I've, I've read so much of the work that was done by other anthropologists and non-native people, even like right down to the, our dictionary, and I always sensed that they missed something. But when I seen that footage, I was telling Nettie that, you know, you've captured something that anthropologists who studied us and did ethnographic work and studied our language, you know, for a year, for two years, they didn't get it. And you captured it in this one scene. And that's when I really got interested in the documentary. Was That's when I got involved. And that's when I seen that footage. We were in a friend's hotel room down at the Blue Horizon on Robson, and she went to sleep, and it was like, what, three in the morning? And we realized yeah. that she was in bed, and we were just watching all this footage, and then we kind of snuck out of the room, and I, I was captivated then, and from it, an anthropological perspective. And for me, that's a really <laughs> big moment, because I was approaching it as an artist, and I think that there's a real role for art in this world in general, <laughs> but particularly in the heart of really controversial times. Because there I was picking up on something that was speaking, which was very articulate in ways other than somebody lecturing at me like an anthropologist, right? But I was getting it. And so that's what art can do. And I think right now there's a lot of talk about and screaming and polarized rhetoric about what we should and should not do with the land. It's the biggest debate of our time in our community, you know. But there's not a whole lot of listening. And I think that that's what I can bring with Konalina is um, art to mine, to overwork the metaphor, yeah. to mine piece, moments of art, poetry that I find with the people up in the north, most of whom are tall tan, but many of whom aren't, and bring that art back down south and see if it speaks to people in this other visceral way. Mm -hmm. 
And it's exciting because you get surprised. You know, if you really leave yourself open to going, okay, I may not know everything. Maybe I can't rationalize. Maybe I can't sum this up in three sentences, but something's going on here. If you can leave yourself open to be surprised as filmmakers, then I think the audience can be surprised. And then you've got them. Mm -hmm. You were talking about the different windows. That's something that really stuck with me throughout this conversation. The different windows into moments of these people that are interacting with the land Mm -hmm. and just different perspectives on it. So like, what made you want to see all these different perspectives as opposed to normally we only get one side of the story or maybe two sides. Whereas I felt in Conalina we saw a plethora of different perspectives and mm. different relationships with the land? Well, for one thing, I've had the very real privilege of getting to know the Northwest more than most people in the mm. South, not as well as the people who live up there, of course. Mm. And that's what I was struck by. You know, I'd go into the Tatoga Lodge and I'd run into some newly minted geologist with her eyes as big as saucers who was totally in love with the environment and it was who is prospecting for a mining company, right? Mm-hmm. Or some guy who's 19 years old who's a line cutter for the mining company. And I was really taken by that energy and adventure and sense of beauty and all that stuff. And it flew in, the, in my face in terms of, it was, it was contradictory. And I was intrigued by that. And then on the other hand, I ran into somebody like Oscar, who's this really, really contemporary First Nations guy who's working on his master's and and then on his PhD in linguistics, who's also an activist and whose dad was born on a trap line. Everything up there just really spoke to, I think I'm going to have to create something that's like dazzling beads on a string, right? And the string is the land itself. And we're going to have to create something the way we see it, the way we cut it, the way we put it together, the beginning, middle, and end, we're going to have to put it together like a piece of music rather than the kind of what I've done in the past, and I'm really proud of my movies in the past, but what I've always done is I get a character, it's a character-driven story, and we have this character over here explains what they're doing, and this one over here argues against them, and somebody else argues against that, and it's a Again, I've always liked looking at a full spectrum of characters and looking at the conflict, but people are arguing their point. And this time, I just figured, enough, we're dealing with cinema. So let's see if we can get the camera to find the poetics in this. And And a really key scene when I was making the movie, one penny drop was watching the stick gambling footage with Oscar. Another one was when we were filming the flying in of the Northwest transmission line. So in this, the Northwest transmission line for some people is the thin edge of a cruel wedge that's going to completely destroy the wilderness. For other people, it's the heartbeat of industry that's going to bring jobs and prosperity and all that good stuff. But the core of it, if you park all the rhetoric, the core of it was the world's biggest helicopter picking up 16,000-pound towers that are already assembled and flying them over mountains, and then they would catch the sun and glint like crosses, and it was like looking at the opening of Fellini's La Dolce Vita, right? (laughs) And so... We went, holy, how about if we shoot this with an 800 millimeter lens in slow motion and find the poetry in it? And there's huge poetry. And if you take a look at those shots in it, you've got elegance of engineering. You've got the brawn and the dexterity of the linemen. You've got this beautiful landscape and you've got 
full-on clear cuts. So I don't need to say anything. Nobody needs to say anything. It's just whammo. There it is. And people are so moved and confused by that sequence. I love it. And that's what these guys and gals up in the north are living. They're living all those contradictions. Mm -hmm. Beauty, jobs, technology, part of the contemporary world. They use computers. They use cars. We all use all this stuff that comes out of the ground and their backyards being dug up. And trying to hold on to what, who we are. Mm. Uh, one of the things that I find so fascinating about the way people view things, and Nitty made a comment about my father being born on the trap line, but the trap line came secondary to the way he was born and the way he lived. He was born as a nomad because the trap lines, like when you look at our trap lines now, Basically, what they did was they registered the family territories as trap lines to specific people because we were nomads and we moved all over, so we didn't have a trap line in the sense of, of, of a white person's trap line. It's just an area that was my dad's traditional territory for thousands of years, and they put a trap line on it and they registered for the fur trade. So as many times as I've said it, my dad was born a nomad and he was raised a nomad. She still referred to him as being born on the trap line. And I've never once said he was born on the trap line. So the way people see things, they're so conditioned to see things. And it goes back to Konalina. When my dad looks out, he sees the land the way Konalina taught him to see the land. Whereas me as a second language, when I, I sort of seen the land like that, even though I learned, because Teltan is my second language. It's not my first language. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of aha moments because the elders who taught us the language, they brought the culture over into English to a certain extent. But when once I learned the language, it sort of like finalized it. I was able to pick up and see the way my dad sees, sees it because I grew up with my dad not speaking the language. But once I learned it from him, then I was able to see it in a different way. Yeah. Which is intriguing because that whole business about... <clears throat> The syntax that I used and the context that I put your dad in, in terms of living on the trap line, that helps me understand what the devil you're talking about yeah, in terms because, of cognitive land state. Yeah, because... because <laughs> and a different one, and having a different you're, you're one. You're seeing it, you're, you know, you're seeing the world from the language that you were raised yeah. in, and in, in, in conditioned by yes. know, the colonial culture that you were raised in. Yeah. yeah. And as an anthropologist, I, I'm always aware, we were talking about it the other day because I went to a seminar at UBC and we're talking about research and trying to be as, as objective as you can in research. And it's literally impossible, I think. And you know what? This is like a really interesting thought that I've never had before. I think that's why I'm so pulled towards the art of it because it allows me to enter into a very, very... Um, open space where I'm open to things that don't make sense to my mind maybe but I allow it to happen that's what art allows you to do a little bit because you're so shaped by your rational cognitive landscape perhaps <laughs> that you're not open to actually things that happen in front of you but art lets you do that you know, if I had said, okay, that scene's not going into this movie until I can, somebody can figure out, tell me how this game works. Well, it would be a whole different scene because A, I'd never understand it. And B, I'd be just trying to shove it into some kind of language that made sense to me, right? But if you just leave yourself open to the risk of sounding like a hippie, the vibe of it, right? <laughs> and be really open to that. Then I'm going with what his mum said, which is you go with your heart. Mm -hmm. And that's the last line of Conalina. It's the last line of the movie. The thing that's so cool about the 
conversation she's talking about is after I viewed the footage, well, first of all, you have to understand that from an anthropological, I have two perspectives. Well, I have more than two perspectives, but as a child and as a Taltan, I grew up with a lot of taboos. And some of the anthropological stuff that I did was taboo from my culture. And we have what's called, the closest you could come is voodoo or magic, black magic. And we have this whole idea that we, we manifest our reality. So therefore, we could use medicine on you, you know, and you always have to be careful who you mess with because some people could use it better than others and all that. And that's something that goes unspoken. Like you talk about it among people you trust and among like with my father and we'll talk about it to a certain extent, but we won't talk about it in public. So once I seen the footage, I automatically said, you captured this. This is something you captured. This is who we are. This is the essence of who we are. And so she knew that. I knew that. We get back to Iska to film the last thing. So we get back and, I'm, and my sister and my mom didn't know I was in the bedroom. I was staying at my mom's place. And, and what I thought, she was trying to drag this out of them, what I, was, what I shared with her. So I'm sitting in the bedroom and I'm listening to Nettie work with them, like with her skills. Like she's so good with people. And, like, and she's working with my sister and my mom and I'm standing there waiting for them to go there, but they won't go there mm -hmm. because they're not anthropologists. They're, in, they're, in, they're living the culture. And just let me jump in here. So what I'm actually trying to do, it's a last kick at the can to try and get somebody to explain how the game works. I'm not after them to explain what's happening spiritually. I'm after somebody to just tell me what's happening with the sticks, what's happening with the token, and how the devil does the game work. And, and but of course, that's an impossible ask, right? So they're stumbling around. And they're, they're not even aware either. They're not even aware that they're holding back. You know, like they're just living the culture, mm -hmm. you know. And so here I am. Here I am. I'm standing in the bedroom with the lights out and the, the door open like this for me. Eavesdropping. 30 minutes or 40 <laughs> minutes maybe listening to Nettie was hoping that my, my mother and my sister would talk about this and they would come so close and then they would they would pull back and they would pull back and Nettie would keep pulling and keep pulling and they would come close and they would pull back. Finally I had enough of it and I thought God this is just torture I gotta get out of here so I snuck out they didn't even know I left or I was there. But, you know, even, even the, whole, the whole interaction between Nitty coming from her culture and my family, my sister and my mother, I don't know who my dad was, but my sister and my mother coming from our culture, you know, holding back in Nitty. I actually told Nitty, you don't even know what you captured or something like that. So here she was, she just explained again. She wasn't doing what I thought she was doing, but I was basing it on my, my sister and my mother holding back and not going into that yeah. where they're not supposed to go because of taboos. And here was this dance, and from an anthropological perspective, I was deciphering what was happening, and it was torture for me, so I left. It wasn't her intention, and I'm sure my, my sister didn't even know that was happening, but because of what she captured is taboo, it's not taboo, it's, it's really difficult to explain sometimes, mm -hmm. but here I am watching all that take place, and I just couldn't handle it, I had to leave, because it was just too much for me, because I assumed that she wasn't getting what she wanted, or she wasn't getting what I wanted them to do, was to validate what I was saying. Yeah. And it's interesting, because Oscar's right, I mean, I, I tried to get them to tell me on a concrete level what was happening. They were finding it very, very hard to tell me the rules of the game, because of, I believe, what Oscar's talking about, because in fact, the game lives on another level. 
level. It isn't just about sticks and tokens. So they were having trouble boiling it down and they were eventually moving towards what Oscar was talking about, about where the spirit was going in the game. But um, back, he could hear them also backing away from taking it into the darker part, into taboo, right? So, you know, it's kind of in the middle of all that mutual confusion. We end up with a scene in the movie, which I know a lot of audience members are going, what the heck is going on? Did you know what was going on in that scene? I didn't know what was going on. I just tried to kind of, like, feel it, I guess. Like, I think it all ends up going back to the cognitive landscape so much of the time. I don't know if you're familiar with Worf's hypotheses about how our native languages shape the way we see the world. And for a long time, his whole hypothesis was just not considered legitimate. People Mm -hmm. just thought that it was ridiculous that you could ever think that something as simple as a language could shape the way that you perceptually see the world. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's what I feel that you're talking about. Like, now, Worf is considered considered a legitimate scholar. Like, years after he died, because now people are seeing that, really, there isn't something as simple, scare quotes, as language. Language is so complex, and it just... It drills into you the way that you see the world. There you go. Like, I feel like you were trying to expand on this way to see the world because mm-hmm. you're an English speaker. You have you don't know how to speak Kelton, but by trying and by trying to experience the art of it and trying to get just try and get some of the native speakers to explain it, you're trying to widen that perspective. And my camera, if I trust my camera, it can go where my mind and my my language cannot. And that's the power of cinema, you know. And that's where we tried to go over and over again and to get back to the transmission line when we were when the slow motion of this 16,000 pound tower is swinging like a huge deadly pendulum and these 10 puny little guys are trying to get it into this ridiculously teeny hole all right in that moment there's a huge the cinematic language is extremely loaded and strong and carrying with it all sorts of things that would take you hours to articulate That's where Conalina lives. And I can tell you that as filmmakers, it was really hard to park all that lip flap <laughs> and just allow us just to go where our, our hearts kind of felt mm-hmm. that there's something going on. And when we showed that footage to the linemen, just the same way as when we showed the, the stick gambling to Oscar, when we showed that fit- footage to the linemen, their first reaction before they saw it was, you're not going to set us up, are you? Like, they really, really scared people in industry are really scared of the camera right and i said well we had a tailgate screening so we put a monitor up in the tailgate of our truck these guys are exhausted at the end of the day there's they've had a shower they're just ready to face plant they're kind of holding a can of gear beer and they're looking at our footage and literally they looked at it and went holy we've never seen ourselves filmed like that before and we just went bingo right that's you know they're not frightened of it and yet there it all is all the contradictions are there but we're not kind of pissing on them from a great height we're just going this is the way it is and look at it there's beauty in here and there's you know a lot of contradictions too it's really fun (laughs) all those contradictions and like specifically the the helicopter shot i think is really representative of what 
is happening because it, depending on what your predisposition to believe something is you have a different view on that shot oh, so yeah. some people see it as destruction some people see it as progress yeah. and that's a recurring theme throughout so you're not trying to preach any specific rhetoric you're just putting it out there for anyone else to interpret i guess and you went into it a bit how it wanted to stop the lip flapping you didn't mm-hmm. want to try and articulate all these things that you're just showing visually so yeah i just wanted to get into more of that like there is no voiced narrative i feel like the land that you're filming is almost the narrator of the documentary yeah the, the land is the central character mm. it's it's if i put together a, a necklace of these beautiful beads the string that strings it all together is the land itself. And then finding the relationship that various different people have to the land and then letting our camera explore that. And the linemen and the diamond drillers have a relationship to the land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think what's happening is, is that in the middle of this debate, we just decide, okay, they have the wrong relationship, so you eliminate them. Right? People immediately pick up on that. It's like racism or sexism. You immediately know. That's why when I went to show the linemen the footage before they saw it, they said, you're going to set us up. Mm. Right? I go and I've, I invite mining people to come to the movie, and they have the same thing. It's like, what are we in for? Yeah, right? I'm going, you're in for a bag of popcorn. I'm just inviting you to come see a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they come into the movie, they're surprised, right? They're confused. Mm-hmm. And I really like that confusion. There was a woman who told me, this is my favorite review so far of the movie. She said, I hate that transmission line. It represents everything that I'm against. And I hate to admit, I really love that scene in the movie. I think it's really beautiful. And I just go, bingo. That's where I want everybody to go. I think it's the sound of s- stereotypes crashing to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really need to go there. We really need to go there, and um, I think art can do that. Uh, I was reading some reviews that said that, like, it's... You describe it as a cinematic poem, yeah? And apparently, like, the linemen are seeing it as... UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. The most powerful motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. <laughs> you know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that I could. Did you know CITR has an accessibility collective? Our new collective serves to explore issues of inclusion, equity, and accessibility for people with physical and cognitive disabilities on campus and beyond. 
If you love making radio, listening to radio, or want to get involved for the first time, come join our collective. We include people of all abilities, experience levels, and backgrounds in the production and programming of our show. Tune in to our weekly show, All Access Pass, from 5 to 6 p.m. on Thursdays for interviews, music, news, events, and awesome dialogues. If you want to get involved, email accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. And we're back with The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam Territory and Coast Salish Territory here on the UBC campus in Vancouver, BC. So you just heard the interview that I, Dama, did with Nettie Wild, who is the director of Konalina. And now I'm just going to let you know when we're going to be playing Konalina. So on Monday, October 3rd at 6.30 p.m. at the Vancouver Playhouse, you can go out and see it on Sunday, October 9th, 12.30 p.m. at the Van City Theatre, or if no specific time is good for you, then there's going to be a two-week run starting on October 28th at the Van City Theatre. And it also has a screening at VIF on September 28th, I believe. You might want to just check the website to make sure that's happening. So, yeah, it's uh, a really, really beautiful documentary. It's so gorgeous. And what you may have gotten out of the interview is that, like, it's just so holistic in the sense that it just portrays a lot of these different ideas and contradictions, and it just kind of puts it out there for you to interpret however you see fit. So that's something that I really, really loved about the interview as well as the documentary itself. That was the part one that you listened to, and we bled a little bit into part two. But you, if you were interested, you should come back next week and listen to our part two, because it's going to be amazing. And I don't know, I had a lot of fun with it. So we're just going to talk a little bit about the things that are happening uh, on CITR very quickly. So... Since this is an indigenous-type movie, I just wanted to plug the accessibility... Uh, not accessibility! Although you should join the Accessibility Collective. Yeah. The Indigenous Collective is starting up again this year. Everyone should join. It's just um, basically a collective of people, indigenous people and allies, to come together and create representation on the radio because they are. it is a very underrepresented group, um, just in radio in general. Um, it's a really beautiful idea. It's a really beautiful collective. The really amazing people are in it. Um, and yeah, it's just amazing. And also the other collectives, there's accessibility in women's, but Indigenous Collective is what we're focusing really on today. Yeah, because of Carolina. Um, so yeah, another cool thing that's happening today. Yeah, today, 4 p.m. Come down to CITR 1.9 FM, the station. Um, we're having a listening party, just with tunes and collages. Bring yourself for some tunes. Yeah, and I'm DJing. And two hours of it, so you're in for some great music. It's going to be a fun, fun thing. <laughs> okay, so just to end this episode, uh, we're going to be playing some music for you by the band Enter Tribal, or the group Enter Tribal, and the two songs that you're going to listen to are All for Nothing and Don't Go. So just before we leave, are you ready, Dora? Um, Shout Thanks for... <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Shout out to Thomas Hayden Church. What are you 
Something really big Boy, I think you're awesome I'm just not that into it I gave you all I had And showed you who I am I'm sorry that you caught feelings I can't say I did Are you saying That this was all for nothing You tell me you've been playing Tell me this can't be No, it can't be true Are you saying You got this for something Time that we've been spending time You saying I'm wasting my time My mind invested my heart I told you from the start What this really was You never listened I was pretty clear straight with you And what my needs were What intention? Hold up That part I swear you failed to mention I had no clue Are you sure you ain't confusing me With some other dude? Um, okay, yeah, true You might be right But if it's over, it's over I'm only down to get down if you're okay with this arrangement. I do miss the sound you make. Wow, what a mistake. This whole time you've been fake. Trying to eat and have your cake. I can't believe the things that you're saying. Are you seeing that this was all for nothing? Tell me you've been playing Tell me this can't be No, it can't be true Are you saying You got this for something Oh boy, that's your assumption Tell me that can't be No, it can't be true Oh, I can't believe What I'm hearing from you Got more in store. 
ain't holding her down, no matter right or wrong. She backs me in a powwow song, dances hard to the beat, running water to quench her thirst, then rub her feet, lay her back, caress her softly. My time is all she needed for me to spend my time with my girl, time with my girl. Baby, I love to spend that time with you, laying on the beach, just us two. Love the way you make me feel, love the way I make you feel. Oh, girl, don't go away. You made me who I am today. You're my rock, my everything, my whole world. Give you anything. Baby, don't go. When I'm in need, he's the only one I see. Ready to take the next step. He's been groomed and prepped. Confidence and thought is what he reps. I like his status. He's never acting. Sharp tactics. Get all access. Instantly attracted. Everyone before was practice. Baby, don't go. Okay. 